Welcome back to Feature Presentation. My name is Patrick. My name is Taylor. And this is the podcast where we talk about whatever we want to talk about with absolutely no schedule at all. And boy, do I have something to talk about this week. Knock at the Cabin, directed by M. Night Shyamalan, came out just a couple days ago. You and I caught it a couple days before it came out. And I want you to start off this episode, T, by giving the folks at home a brief synopsis of what the movie is about. And then that's about all the spoiler-free discussion you're going to get. As with any M. Night Shyamalan movie, you should see it before you read reviews, listen to pods, whatever, because um, they're almost always impossible to talk about without some spoilers. Yeah, well, the brief synopsis is um, a family is on a little trip at a cabin in the woods and four people uh, who feel very strongly that um, the world may be coming to an end soon feel it's their responsibility to stop the world from ending and the way in which the world ending stops is if one of those members of the family chooses to sacrifice or they, they are all in agreement that one is to be sacrificed. They can't kill themselves. They can't just kill each other out of whatever. They have to mutually agree upon a sacrifice. Um, I mean, barring the like a little child so I guess just the parents have to choose um but they have to choose to, to sacrifice someone um and if they do not choose to sacrifice someone then the the four original members start to dwindle down as they begin to sacrifice in a predetermined order um and each time one of them is sacri- basically the longer the the decision takes for the family um the more the, the worse off the world gets and it's kind of a you know are they telling the truth and are they not telling the truth sort of thing? Um, you know, these, these doomsday people. Is, would you say that that's a good synopsis? I would say that's about as good as it gets. And that's all that you're going to get. If you haven't seen this yet, go see it. Um, I, I have my thoughts, but I definitely think it's at least worth, you know, the $11 or whatever. Um, it's a nice, taut thriller that has some issues with the ending that I'm going to get into right now so turn this off if you haven't seen it yet or, or don't want the spoilers go listen to the vince vonathan go listen to why two kids go read some of our stuff on future presentation video.com but this is not the show for you all right now that those losers are gone let's talk about knock at the cabin and how m night Shyamalan has an endings problem okay he successfully pulled one of them off 25 years ago and that goodwill has carried him through a lot of i believe disappointment let's do some quick just like off the top of my head signs really strong movie in the end turns out the aliens cannot come in contact with water why they chose a planet that's 75% water, the world may never know. Split. Really great performance. Really interesting sort of kidnapping thriller that all gets thrown out the window. But also incredibly problematic in many ways. When they basically imply that people with DID are monsters. <laughs> Old. I, I don't want to spoil the ending of old for Taylor, 
Haku, I might make her watch it one you day. You do realize you've already spoiled it for oh, me, right? I yeah, like, I went, so just for, so everybody is abundantly clear. <laughs> Patrick saw it without me. He was, like, at home, I think you saw it, like, with friends in Roanoke or something. And you came back and you said, you should never watch this movie. So I'm just going to go ahead and spoil it for you and tell you how stupid it is. So, like, I just go ahead and say it. So that one's stupid. Really, you should be concerned about maybe spoiling it for someone who's listening and goes like, whoa, I thought you were only spoiling Knock at the Cabin, and now I've been spoiled for Split, Old, and everything else. You shouldn't see any of these movies. You really, <laughs> you really shouldn't bother. Uh, the, vi- the Visit has a good... Uh, the one ending I will give to him is The Visit, which I w- straight up will not spoil. Yeah, it. don't spoil, because I haven't seen it, so maybe okay, I'd like okay, to see okay, it. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> However, that is one where it uh, it is so... 180 that it makes the movie completely it's not a rewatchable movie like you get the twist the suspense that you got from the first time seeing it you just straight up will not have now that you know how it ends anyway this is uh the same okay Uh, i I wrote this in my review which you can read on hotchka.com that he makes two kinds of movies he makes movies that have twists which he sort of becomes synonymous with regardless of whether or not that's true and he makes movies that make big oh the village is such a bad twist and he makes movies that make really big promises how are we gonna make these people old right things like that uh how is james mcavoy gonna play 32 characters whatever it is this is is the apocalypse going to come yes or no and unfortunately and just like many of these Many of his movies, Signs, Split, The Village, it is really tense for 95% of it. And it, at least for myself, when the ending hits, you go, all right, sure. I, I guess that's how this ends. And all of that tension just sort of built up to uh, an ending that was not satisfying. And that, I believe, was was the big sort of sin of this movie. That I, it is, it is a very difficult. Dis- like, what are you going to do? What are you going to believe these wackos? They believe them to be wackos, right? Are you going to believe these wackos? Are you going to think that you're being targeted? Are you going to make a decision? Are you going to make a sacrifice? You know, it's, it's those are really interesting questions. And then a decision is made, and the movie ends, and you go, okay, yeah, sure, I guess. I think for me. The writing was just so abundantly on the walls because here you are with a is the apocalypse going to happen yes or no question and to me there was absolutely no universe in which the answer was no it won't happen. I could not see M. Night Shyamalan creating a movie in which the twist is that the protagonists are correct all along and no, it's not actually going to happen. It's not a horror movie. You know, it's not just a home invasion movie. Like it's a, it's a ethical question and it's a, it's a, uh, like a life or death question. And so for me, I just felt like it was so clear that the twist was going to be that there was no twist, that these people were absolutely correct. I th- and Sorry. Even the way that they built that out, and like there was because there was so much evidence to support it not being that way that like further instilled in me that it was going to be that way. I, I don't think that I'm saying that the twist is is the apocalypse happening because like I said I believe that it's a promise movie. He says the apocalypse is going to happen, 
They say it over and over again. They show clips of it. It's going to happen. And that one shot where they step outside and the plane is like in the background and it's like sideways, that's scary as shit, you know, because there's this whole scene where uh, planes are just falling out of the sky left and right. Yeah, I will say one of the more effective in terms of like really freaked me out movies that I've seen in a long time really freaked me out. I think the, what you're waiting for is what decision are they going to make? And the decision that they make feels sort of, I don't want to say inevitable, but you are sort of relegated to, well, someone's going to die here. And we know it's not going to be the kid. And we know it's not going to be. The- I thought it might be. No. I, no. I, you just, you traumatized me with, the, what was the other movie? Snow Dogs? No. No. Um, the one where the dad kills him in the end. Oh, spoilers. I'm not going to say it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, that's a good movie. You should go watch it. Um, it's not going to be the kid. And I thought it was pretty clearly not going to be the one guy. So you're left with Jonathan Groff. Yeah, like they, they, they very clearly show that Jonathan Groff is the most vulnerable to believe because he has a relationship, a, pre- a pre-existing relationship with religion. And then there's, I will say that there is a very interesting moment, and I, I will give full credit for this. There's a very interesting moment where he tells his daughter to basically start hacking away at, at the ropes. There, she's, she's acquired a knife. And, um, you know, his partner is like, holy shit, Jonathan Groff believes that this is real. And Jonathan's like, maybe maybe blah 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 and then he finally gets free like the the rope is severed and he's like are you fucking kidding me no i don't freaking believe that these these things are real these people are crazy and you go like oh he's much more strong-willed than we think he is but there's still that feeling of like you know so i do think that it's interesting like you go on a journey with jonathan groff two separate times with two separate endings does that make sense yes but in my mind, the other guy was so against the idea. Of, like, it, he was 0%, I believe, yeah. these people. And you've cast Jonathan Groff, who, if, if you don't have a theater background, you know, you might not have a background with, right? But this is a guy who's kind of a goober. He's Leah Michelle's best friend. He's the one that reads to her, you know? He's just kind of a goob. And when you cast the guy who's kind of a goob... Um, he's going to be the one to go when you cast the guy who is, um, uh, gullible and, or sensitive and, or has like a belief in the afterlife, you know, so can be at some semblance of peace with the end of his own life. Right. He's, he's out of there. And so as he's getting stabbed, right. Shot. Shot. Thank you. What? Shot. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. I'm thinking of the other guy. Um, you go like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when the planes clear up and everything's fine, it's just like, okay. I mean, I guess they were right the whole time. Uh, whatever. You know, it, it just, I don't know how else you would end this. I'm not going to be all high and mighty and say like, I, I could do better. Obviously you would do this, but maybe that's an issue with the movie itself. Like it's just, it was it was a train on a track going one direction, and it got to the station and the end. You know, I feel, and and I want to make it very clear, I'm not saying that I think this movie needs a sequel and that I, like, obviously it does not. But something that I, I 
frequently think with apocalyptic subjects like this, especially a a movie in which the apocalypse starts to happen or does happen. I'm like, when are we going to make a movie about picking up from right then? Because if 300 planes have fallen from the sky and half of your world cities are underwater, your world will never be the same again. Sure, you weren't shot out of the sky, but you now have you know, your governments might not ever be the same. You could literally end up on fucking Pangea for all we know. Like, I feel like there's something there and everybody chooses to ignore it. Yeah, there's like this bizarre sigh of relief at the end where they're like, "Ah, now that Jonathan Groff is dead, you know, the world will be saved. And it's like, y'all chose way too late. You should have chose four days ago. (laughs) Exactly. You fucked everybody. No, for sure. I feel like... (laughs) You know, I like I wish that, you know, we could see into each of those decisions. Like, what would life be like if you chose right before this person died or right before this person died or right before the tsunami? Like, you know, each phase make would make it easier and easier to go back to normal life if you had chosen earlier. But where they were at, everybody had died. It was literally moments before the like the the universe came in on itself. Um they made the decision. So it was it was literally as as bad as it could have gotten without completely killing everybody. And you know, sure, we do we have we have, you know, the divergent films and we have the Hunger Games and we have those which you know, to be honest, I eat those movies up. Like I know that well, at least I did as a child. I haven't revisited them, but like I I'm very into the post-apoc genre. But I think that something in like The Giver and like, you know, but there are something that I feel like is an untapped market is like those always pick up 50 years after the you know inciting incident i want to know what people do in the literal moments after the world has almost just come to an end is the president dead you know like what happens like does that make sense yeah that's actually interesting because i've been thinking about this with a separate franchise with the mad max movies i've been going through i've been watching the mad max movies and the very first one uh mad max low budget Zero dollar budget or whatever they're called in Australia. I don't think they're called dollars. Do you know what they're called in Australia? I actually do think that they are dollars. Okay. Well, you get what I'm saying. The Australian dollars. Zero dollars. But it's a post-apocalyptic movie. But there are scenes that like take place in like a hospital that's very clearly like they got a hospital room. And like, you know, the uh, the roads are fine. And they're traveling really slow on the roads because they have no budget to like do a whole thing, you know. And... Then you get all the way to Mad Max Fury Road, which is like, yeah, we, it is post-apocalypse now. Like, all of that civilization is gone, and and it's desolate, and there are only two salvageable, salvageable places to live, and, and, you know, the earth has been glazed over. You get the idea, right? And that wasn't really on purpose. It was more like a budgetary thing, and the more we successfully pull this off, the more we get... Um, the ability to make what we want to make, right? But that first Mad Max movie feels like if it, it feels like that. Like it's it's coming down, but we're not quite all the way to the other side yet. Mm-hmm. This is, I think, uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but this separately to go back to this is it just it just it's so unsatisfying to me. Like it just ends, and you go like, yeah, these people have to deal with this thing now. Sure, I mean it. It just. I'm starting to, I'm really starting to go like, it's. it must be me. It must be me 
and M. Night that we just do not have sensi- the same sensibility about how to tell a story. Because there are people who really like this movie. And I think you, I, I don't want to say you really liked it, but you liked it. And it didn't bother you as much as it's bothered me. I've sat with it for the past week going, man, fuck this movie. <laughs> I feel like saying that I really liked it or even liked it is like a little bit of a, it's it's more complex than that. I think, again, I think that the movie was really, really effective. I think that it was, it, it really made me uneasy. It really made me consider those questions in my own life. It really made me wonder what would happen next. But I definitely feel like there's things from the movie that are lacking. I also, I, I feel like sometimes movies, and this is, I think, a perfect example, puts almost a burden on the audience member um, once they leave the theater. Um, and I feel like this is an example of that. And, you know, do I think that sometimes that is intentional and that is like we want this to stay with you for a really long time? Like, yes. But this, I felt like an unnecessary burden because like you said, there, the ending is, is very unsatisfying. You're, you're forced to go like, what happens next? Um, because, you know, something that really pissed me off about the ending is like, you know, I would imagine, and maybe I'm, I'm making this up, but like right before Jonathan Groff dies, he says like, you need to shoot me now. I'm imagining our daughter. You're picking her up from her office. You're going out to dinner together. And then it shows a vignette of them getting older. And I, I, I'm assuming this is M. Night's way of uh, really genuinely foretelling the future. So we try to try and lessen that burden. But in my mind, I'm going like, so that's it? Like, the cities still have perfectly intact townhomes that are office buildings? And like... Like that. Well, I guess it's been twenty five years, but I get what you're saying. But it's been twenty five years, and and we still operate in a world that is identical to our own. Not only you know, you know, like is there is there a dictator? You know, I hate to like immediately jump into politics, but I think I do that because like we have clearly shown from like literal history that when there are major traumatic and and disastrous events, especially if they're disastrous in terms of infrastructure, that that's what people jump on. Like that's why we have so much turnover in certain countries with a heightened amount of conflict. I, I think it's less of that for me and more of like clearly you've thought a lot about like what happens when the movie ends. After the movie ends? I just can't help it. For me, it was the ending itself. Like, I just thought the ending, the final five minutes, ten, five minutes of the movie, is were unsatisfying. Well, I, and, I think because they were so unsatisfying, I've had this burden of wondering what was next. And so, for me, it's not the what next. It's, it's, it's what what is next, rather. It is the, and I've been thinking a lot about this, like, should five minutes of a movie ruin the other 85, you know, is that fair? Um, I think the answer is yes, though, when you've shown, M. Night, time and time and time again that this is your M.O., that you're going to do something. I mean, the village, I was creeped the fuck out by the village. I think it is a really strong, really scary, um, really tense movie. And then when the twist ending hits... Man, fuck this movie. You know? No! And I do that over and over and over again. And so, like, yeah, maybe not every movie... I shouldn't do that with every movie. I shouldn't do that with most movies. But he's doing it to me, I feel like. And just over and over and over again, it's getting a little, you know, fool me once, shame on you kind of thing, you know? Um, 
but it's – I said this in my letterbox review and I stand by it that I will see every single one of his crazy-ass movies. I love that he goes for it. He wants to make his movies. He – aside from this one, he often comes up with the idea himself and it's he, – he funds it, you know, and, and he's going to do it. I think that's great. And I'm really down for most of the journey. But over and over and over again, I've been burnt by these endings. And in this case, I think it's a really good home invasion movie. You know, you said earlier it's not a home invasion movie. It, it, it is for most of it. And it's a really good one, actually. And I uh, maybe this has also been on my mind because I rewatched Us the other day. And I feel the same exact way about Us. That I think that the, the middle half hour, 40 minutes of Us is the greatest home invasion movie ever made. It scares the shit out of me every time. Doesn't matter how many times I watch it. It is truly terrifying. It is a five star movie. The ending is dumb as shit, and it ruins the rest of the movie for me. And I feel the same way. Like, like I said, I don't know what else you would do. There are plenty of other ways you could have gone and and ended us. I don't know how many ways there were to end this movie, but it just felt inevitable. It felt uh, underwhelming, and it it was. When I say it was the only way to end this movie, that's a bad thing, you know. Um, I, I wish there was something along the way that sent us off in another path or something. Um, you know, they get out of the cabin sooner or I, I don't know. I'm not a writer. I'm going to pretend to be. But this just like they get picked off one by one. Eventually all the wackos have been picked off. They got to start picking themselves off to, to end it. Yeah, sure. And then if you noticed, when the movie seemed like it was wrapping up, right, they shoot Jonathan Groff, and they're walking down the street to go find the car, Dave Bautista's car, which we need to talk about Dave Bautista in a second. I checked the time because I knew how long the movie was, and I was like, this is it? Like, I, there's got to be more to this, right? No, nope, they point at the diner, they look at the TV. Oh, we're all good. The end. Yeah, I definitely felt like... The- um, like, I mean, I, there's a lot to unpack. First of all, I want to speak to like the home invasion aspect of it. I I agree that it is a home invasion movie. What I was trying to say is, um, it because it turns the home invasion genre on its head. It's not a home invasion movie. Like it's really, I think it's really impactful that like they take this trope, this like people forcing themselves into a home, but then they're like the most caring understanding, tolerant, empathetic people that don't want to harm you physically, mentally, or whatever, and and really, um, like, hit you over the head with this wave of, like, I understand that this is an impossible decision, but you have to put the sake of humanity here. And that's, like, fascinating. I agree totally. It's not a home invasion movie, but it's a movie with really great home invading, and they they don't I don't I feel like they don't lean into that enough like you've made like you've stumbled onto another really great movie um the obsession with the apocalypse sci-fi religious allegory of it all has has pooed on the rest of that movie I feel like yeah you know it's tough and I'm also like hyper aware of the baggage that I bring I think this is my theater background very much and like you know when you take intro to acting and they always say like what baggage do you bring to different things everybody's life experiences leads them but you know I just and I will not will not get into it here nor anywhere but um like my own life experiences I think definitely made this more 
uh, effective for me and like the experiences that I've had with, you know, uh, you know, what happens next in terms of the world. Um, which is all I'll say, but, like, you know, I definitely have a hard time judging something like this when I know that, like, my own baggage makes it more fascinating to me. Does that make sense? It does. For me, there is is a saving grace to this movie that uh, almost makes me want to revisit it because 85 of those 90 minutes, it's built as an hour 40 everywhere, and I timed it. <laughs> It was only 90 minutes. I don't know where this hour 40 comes from. Anyway, 80, I would I would say, you'd, you'd have to say 80 of the 90 minutes are really, really good and worth rewatching. What is that? What do you mean, what is that? I'm quizzing you. What is my saving grace of the first 80 minutes of this movie? Felix Bautista? That's a pitcher. He's the closer for the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> I don't know his name. Felix. Dave Bautista. Dave. Okay, to be fair, we were supposed to meet Felix Bautista today, so I got him on the brain. Would you like to tell the folks why you didn't meet Felix Bautista today? Uh, he was supposed to be there. If you're a baseball fan, you know you know. but um, Or you probably don't even know because it's the Baltimore Orioles. But if you are a Baltimore Orioles fan, then if you know you know. Um, Felix Bautista, a very talented pitcher, was going to be um, near us. Uh, with There's like an autograph signing thing as a part of like their fan weekend. Yes, I was getting there. I'm sorry. Um, it's okay. And he was going to be there with another pitcher signing autographs. Uh, and that pitcher, Dean Kramer, is my favorite pitcher ever. Um, like, I'm a Red Sox fan, and, and no Red Sox pitchers can touch him in terms of how I feel about this man and want to marry him and smooch him. Um, but Dean Kramer got sick. And I was like, well, nothing but love to you, Felix. I'll cheer for you on and off the field. But, like, I ain't. We're not going to drive an hour and, yeah. and not get our refund. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, um, I can just probably yell t- to the bullpen and, and, and get an idea. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Dave Bautista, um, I'm assuming that's your saving grace. He's so fucking good in this movie. Yeah. And, like, I liked it. I liked it enough while I was watching it, sitting with it more, going like, oh, he's by far the best part of this movie. And gives a performance that is, like, I feel career trajectory changing a lot of people have liked them in blade runner and in guardians of the galaxy and in knives out and you know name name whatever none of those things have really done it for me either the project or him in the project actually i didn't see blade runner none of those other things did it for me um but those are also very heightened and very silly and very over the top he gives a like a a true dramatic actor's acting performance where he plays you know he's who he is he's a big guy huge huge. he's huge (laughs) and you put any size clothes on him and he's you know he's bursting out of them right um but he plays a second grade teacher who coaches the shitty after school boys and girls basketball teams and he's like a good person He's a public servant. And because he has those tendencies and those beliefs about how to be a part of a community and serve other people and, and, and you know, honor humanity, that when he gets these visions and he has to join up with the other people and, and try and convince the this family to, to do this, he knows it's going to be impossible. 
and he tries to really play up the like I swear to God I'm a regular person I'm a good person I'm not here to fuck with you I really truly mean this and I'm so sorry but this is just how it has to be while also being the biggest scariest looking motherfucker on the planet and playing both sides of that really well like it's not like he's ignoring his shape he's he's using he's playing into that and the, the amount of, uh, I mean, this seems like so basic, but the amount of gesturing and, and pointing and, and when he picks up his weapons, like he's, he's, he's playing into, the, he's playing both parts of it. And like, that's not an easy thing to do. And there are a lot of people who like, uh, I'm, I'm going to shit on The Rock for like five seconds. I like the, the Rock a lot, so do not get me wrong. But he's either doing the really charming thing or he's doing the like, look at me, I'm so big thing. And he never ha he's never really in a part where he has to sort of sit on the fence and balance both um, because he's not scary. He's not scary. But he can be scary as shit. And in a horror movie or in a thriller, whatever you want to call this, he's like that. The first scene where he just kind of he walks up to the little girl and her. It's not fireflies. It's uh, grasshoppers. Crickets. Grasshoppers. Whatever. And just the, the crunching of the leaves. And he's huge. He's huge. And this little girl. And he's instantly so charming and so nice. And he's just, he, he, ugh, I don't even know how to say it. He gives a fuck of a performance that I haven't seen in an M. Night movie in I do not know how long. I mean, other than James McAvoy, which is like, I mean, that guy's on another planet. Um, I don't think M. Night is directing these guys to do these things. If you watch Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel in The Happening for five seconds, no one would believe that that's the same guy who's like getting Bautista to this point. He's, he's doing it himself, and he is fucking killing it. And here's where I'm going to give it to M. Night a little bit. I mean, do I think that... You know, I almost just said Felix again. Dave is is playing the hell out of it in the most brilliant, you know, again, career-defining way possible. Yes, I do. But his character is also written so compellingly. Because, and it's like, I think a combination of both of those things that make it work so well. Like, you know, as a an adult, right, you're watching this large man walk up to a little girl. And you're thinking, your, your, your mind, your internal monologue is screaming... Has no one taught this little girl about stranger danger? Why does she think it's okay to talk to this person? Who the hell is parenting this little girl? We don't know at that point. Like, we genuinely have not even met her parents. And you, because it's not even just, like, how he says the things, but it's what he says. It's his life experience as this teacher that makes him so fucking charming and so believably invested in her. And, of course, you you know it's creepy because you've seen the trailer and you know how the movie's going to play out, and so you're, you're on edge because of that. But if you were just watching this interaction, you might be like, um, this is just a really charming guy who likes kids. I mean, obviously that, that is weird in its own right. And I, I don't want to like dismiss that, but like we should, let's be very clear. We should always be wary of adults, uh, you know, getting to know kids on a friendship level in isolation. Like that's obviously very important. Kids should not just give themselves away in terms of their friendship with, with random adults. But if you put that part aside, what I'm trying to say is he's not being just like, so little girl, what do you like? Like he's he's just connecting with her on a on a really human level. He doesn't treat her like a child. He talks to her. He does all the things that teachers, you know, I I did teacher training. I was a kindergarten teacher. Like 
those things that you are taught, you know, don't speak down to your little ones they are much smarter than you give them credit for, you know, invest in them, blah, blah, blah. He's doing all of those things. And the other thing that I think is so fascinating about his character is because you see this big guy who coaches baseball, or not baseball, sorry, uh, uh, basketball, and he's not a middle school teacher. He is a second grade teacher. And let's just be honest for a second and address the binary. Did you have a, a, a male uh, early education teacher? Probably not. I th- I'm, the very first, at least in my school, um, like when I was a child, the, the o- there was one single male teacher that was not a gym teacher. And he taught fifth grade. And then um, when I was in middle school, I only had one male teacher. And it was sixth grade. And so, like, um, and at my own school that I taught at, the first male teacher was, I think, in, like, fourth grade. Maybe fifth, maybe sixth. I don't know. I wasn't on his team at all, so I know it wasn't early yet. Um, Women dominate, you know, that is, like, the one career path in which women are the primary, uh, uh, you know, person. It's not the one. There are... Well, I, sorry, I, I, sorry, I mean, when you, I feel like when you think of one just, of like the primary. yeah, one of the primary ones where women are the primary, you know, uh, like people involved in that profession, especially early education. And so to make him a second grade teacher, I feel like almost adds to that weirdness. I feel like there is a, there is a like, um, you know, you're a male. Why do you want to be around little kids? And that shouldn't be weird, but because we're not used to it, I think we have that like hmm, why, why that? Why not middle school? You know, like, why not high school? Like, and, and I feel like just all of that adds nuance to his, it, it supports his compelling performance. Does that make sense? I figured how I wanted to word my wrestler to actor comparison with The Rock. And keep in mind, I really like The Rock. I like what he does. But what he cannot do is be both big and small at the same time. He just cannot. And Bautista essentially perfects it here. I also just feel like, you know, and again, this is like theater acting 101 and they tell you to command your space, right? Fill your space with your voice, with your body, use it to your advantage because it, it you start looking really small if, if you don't. And I feel like that's something that a lot of actors, especially, you know, actors with limited uh, experience uh, struggle with. Uh, and I do think that that is one thing that obviously his like past career in wrestling helps him with is he knows how to command a room and it, it has, you know, obviously a lot to do with his size, but it's also just because like his energy and essence is commanding. He knows he has learned, you know, you cannot be a wrestler and, and put on this big show and not be, uh, not take up every square inch of, of the space you're occupying, you know? He is 54 years old. Did you realize that? Whoa. Yeah. I would have guessed like 39. He wants to star in rom-coms. I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> I'd watch that. it. He, he is now like, I'm going to give him carte blanche. Like, I, I will, the next five things that he does, I will go with no judgment. Yeah. You know, I don't, uh, maybe I'm just an asshole. I can't do that with a lot of people, but. This one performance, like, totally earned that for me, I think. Like, he can do a rom-com. I, I feel like, yeah, sure, I, I see it. 
he could do a fucking kids movie. I mean, he's done this before, but yeah, sure, I see it. I feel like I kind of disagree. I don't know. Um, he apparently got a little snippy uh, explaining his desire to be in rom- rom-coms in an interview. He said, like, I don't understand why everybody in the world gets rom-com offers and I don't. Uh, am I so ugly that I can't have, like, that I can't get them? You're not ugly. You're big and scary as shit. <laughs> yeah, but then you look at The Rock and The Rock has had, you know, romantic storylines and stuff like that and, and John Cena and But they're not Diesel. scary, though. He's, yeah. something about him is intimidating as shit. Yeah, he has very, like, um, I don't want to, like, rip on this guy's appearance. Like, I, it all adds to him. But, like, he has... He's bald. He has textured skin. He has, um, like, I don't know. Like, there there are just, like, physical features about him. Even, like, his features are large. Like, The Rock is really big and buff, but The Rock has a kind face that is uh, very chiseled, very slim compared to his body proportions. Um, and, like, that, you know, but, like, Felix Bautista's face, or Felix, fuck, Dave Bautista's face. It's also funny because Felix Bautista is like six seven. Okay, that's what I thought. And like two hundred and ninety five pounds. Like he's yeah. a really big. Okay, guy that's too. what I thought. But I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm going crazy. The, the, he actually, the, it was funny last year. He he uh, he's on the depth chart as weighing like uh, two ten. <laughs> I remember you being like, "That's not true." And somebody asked him, they were like, "Felix, somebody like, come on." And he was like, "Yeah, I'm like two ninety. <laughs> um, but anyways, like Dave's face is big. He has a, you know, large nose. He has, you know, bushy eyebrows. He has a big mouth. Like, he... I, no, I'm not... Again, I'm not shitting... I'm not trying to shit on this guy's appearance. I'm trying to be objective about his physical features. They are different in a way that Vin Diesel's aren't. You know, like, th- like The Rock and Vin Diesel and John Cena are all very much, like, little head, big body. And we see those people walking around the street all the time. People who bodybuild and people who are just really buff guys, but they still have normie faces they're you know but dave is a huge guy in every essence like there's a shot where they like close up on his hands and i was like mm-hmm. oh my <laughs> god like oh my god i mean he could just like flick me and i would go across the room i am currently in the midst of figuring out my m night rankings would you like to hear it sure so I realized in this that I've rated most of his films one and a half star. Is that which, what you rated this? Yes. Which, do you know my, uh, why I give one and a half? I mean, you've explained it to me, but just tell us. Oh, okay. I mean. <laughs> I just like, I don't, okay, this is going to, I don't mean to be like shitty and snarky, but like I, I don't have a method to the letterbox thing. So when people go like, oh, well my, my blah, blah, blah is reserved for blah, blah, blah. I just go like, Okay. Okay, film bro, like, whatever. Okay, okay, number one, I wasn't trying to be a film bro. I thought you knew. I'm sure I do, but I just can't remember. So my, typically my one and a half is like. Like, that's a movie, right? Like, no, it's like, damn, like, you couldn't, there's something I really liked about it. One is like, that's a movie. See, a two and a half is that's a movie for me. Oh, we don't, listen, it's, it's, it's complicated, but. And that's the only one I have. I can't even think of, like, a one off the top of my head, but, like, um. I haven't seen this movie in 15 years. Because you like, have told me, like, ones are better than one and a half. And that makes no fucking sense to me. <laughs> that is so stupid. Okay. So, like, I gave Chicken Little one today. <laughs> because, because we're going to talk about that on Y2 Kids tomorrow. Tune in. Um, it's just, like, that is a movie. 
nothing about that did anything for me. I didn't find any of that charming or offensive or anything. It was just nothingness. See, and I'm going to give it a two because I felt that it was a little worse than that's a movie, which would be two and a half. So a one and a half is like there's something about it. Listen, movies are not numbers, okay? Like <laughs> this is just how you how I use Letterbox, right? They they write those comms that are like how I Letterbox. This is how I Letterbox. One and a half is like there's something about it that I really like, and there was so much potential and you squandered it. That's how how I've rated most of his movies. Okay, let's start with number <clears throat> ten. I've I've seen exactly ten. I have not seen The Sixth Sense. Because I know how it ends. Sorry, y'all. Um, and uh, what's the other big one I haven't seen? Whatever. Who cares? Um, number 10, The Last Airbender. You ever seen that one? Like Avatar? Yeah. I have seen the show. I don't feel like I've seen... Oh, is, is this a live action movie? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I feel like I've definitely seen like bits and pieces of it. Yeah. Uh, really, really, really bad. Um, Lady in the Waters, number nine. Never heard of it. Um... I should have liked this Paul Giamatti, Bryce Dallas Howard movie a lot more than I did, but it is... Um, Just watch, like, Black Mirror. Here's my review. The overwhelming issue with this one is that it tips so much of its so much of its hand so early on. It thinks it's taking you on a wild journey, but just think about it a little bit, and you'll figure it out. Similar issue with Knock at the Cabin. Um, number eight, old. Um, uh... Number seven, The Village. The Village, so much potential, so much potential. Ending was dumb as shit. I'm giving number six to The Happening. You were like, you need to watch The Happening. I love The Happening. I I recognize that it's not a very good movie, but I grew up watching it. And like when you're a literal child watching it, you're like, wow, this is absolutely terrifying. Especially because like I had, ne- obviously this is a very saturated um, premise now with, with um, uh, oh my God. Bird Box and what's the one? Quiet the, Place. Quiet Place. And I, I did want to actually mention A Quiet Place earlier. I believe, and I did not really like A Quiet Place Part 2, I will just be honest, but I think that in The Quiet Place Part 2, they did, if I remember correctly, they went back and forth between like right after it first started and I appreciated that. Like, thank you for exploring that. I get, I probably would have liked the movie better if it was just that, but I digress. Um, but before that was like a super, super duper saturated premise, at least in my knowledge, um, I freaking loved it. I love Zoe de Chanel. Like I, I just, I loved it as a kid. It was really effective for me. It was really spooky to me. And we watched it recently and like, yeah, do I think it's a good movie? No, but I think it's, it's kind of camp. Like I love it. Yeah. I think it's a great bad movie. It is like the very definition of so bad. It's good. Um, some hot dogs, bro. Uh, number five is not good. The cabin. Because that is the point where I would say it is not a bad movie. I was just disappointed in it. Like, that's sort of like the switch for me, I think. Four is The Visit. Pretty strong movie. Not something you can rewatch. Split. My review for Split that I wrote on here is pretty much exactly how I feel about most of his movies. Which is, James McAvoy gives an amazing performance in one of the biggest crocs of shit I've ever witnessed. <laughs> that movie is insane. What was my review? Uh, your review. Oh, oh whoa, uh, we don't... <laughs> whoa, whoa. I guess I had a lot of feelings. Pick some sentences from there. I, I never write paragraphs, but I guess uh, I was feeling it that day. Okay. I actually thought I read this the other day because I was going through these movies on here. And so 
you sort of in two different points said what I said. One is elephant in the room here. Obviously, James McAvoy gave a career-defining performance and is absolutely to be celebrated for such an incredible feat. And then later on, you write, it's insulting, seriously, how obvious the metaphor is. Shyamalan, I'm begging you, let us use our imagination for five seconds. <laughs> wow, I'm like really funny and charming and smart. Um, sometimes I go back and I read my like letterbox reviews or old tweets and I'm like, god damn, someone needs to like sign me on to some sort of creative project. Okay, once again, I'm not a writer, okay? Uh, you just write all the time? No, no, I'm a screenwriter. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Um, would this movie be better if it ended before they made a decision? I hate that. I At least it wouldn't give us a bullshit ending. I've thought a lot about, like, what would the alternative ending be, okay? Okay, real quick before we get into this. Three split. It sucks, but McAvoy makes it watchable. Unbreakable is a good movie. Signs is a very good movie. However, the farther away I get from seeing Signs the last time, the more I go, I think I need to rewatch this because... Yeah, I haven't seen it since it, I was a kid, but it was one of my favorite movies of all time. It might be terrible. Yeah, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> okay, anyway, go ahead. I've thought a lot about, like, what is the alternative, right? So, just to be abundant, abundantly clear to refresh everybody's memories, because assuming you've seen it, the two options are... If the world does come to an end, because they do not come to a decision, they will survive. They will survive and live on a completely inhabitable earth, but they will survive by the nature or whatever. Um, And then, obviously, the other option is they save the universe, which is what happens. Um, And I thought, like, what... What, you know, what directions could, could Shyamalan have taken this? And I think that there are a few. I think that there is a, um, how do I put this? Like, I think that there's a universe in which, um, it just becomes a bloodbath and they all die. You know, like they, they become like one person thinks this person should die and that person thinks that person should die. And although those four horsemen are not there to hurt anybody, they, ha- they also have the right to self-defense and they that's their natural human instinct and blah, blah, blah. And I think that there's a scenario where like everybody dies except the little girl, which would be like tragic. Um, I think that there's a universe. I-, I really thought that there was a universe in which they killed the little girl. Like, I, I don't know. I just felt like, I mean, I, I don't think that, that M. Night had the balls. I just, I think that there, if this movie had been done a different way and not in like kind of a goofy way, like he took it, I feel like there was a universe in which the little girl died. Um, uh, but then that would have obviously also been like super tragic. So I feel like this, this, and again, this is why the movie was predictable to me is I very quickly ruled those out and went like, this is going to be how it ends. Like, it's just going to be the, the lack of a twist. Yeah, I think in general, for for a lot of his movies, for me, it is talking the talk without walking the walk. And there's clearly, he understands tension. He understands suspense and how those two things are different. And he uh, does great work with cameras. There's all these really great close-ups in this that, like, you know, can do everything from give you that tension to represent Jonathan Groff's concussion when he's really confused. You know, like there are all these like great, he it's, it all takes place in one cabin. I kept and, thinking this could be a play. Oh yeah. It all takes place like in if one. you really double down on like the special effects of it all, which would be very difficult tech technically to, you know, like have this, these very gruesome murders on stage, but like this could totally be a play. I kept thinking. About. He's 
he's doing that. He's he's making he's filming a play, and it doesn't feel static in any way. Feel like the whale. It feels kinetic. It doesn't feel like the whale, right? You know, like he's he he can do it. He can yeah, do it. Yeah, there's something there. He can't write. He can't and he had write. several other writers on this, right? Well, this is, they wrote it and then he rewrote it. Gotcha. And who knows what it was before. And what I haven't read, well, first it was a novel and then it was a script and then he rewrote the script. You know, he probably made it worse. Because, yeah. I mean, his, I mean, the dialogue in that happening is insanely bad. I mean, the dialogue in Split is insanely bad you know he's he's a great ideas guy he's not a good screenwriter and uh i that's a bummer i want somebody to pull Hmm. off his idea who else do i feel that way about james cameron (laughs) well i think even cameron might fess up to that (laughs) oh yeah um no but i i'm just saying that because he's been on the mind lately obviously with avatar but yeah and there, we, we've also, I just want to like address potentially an elephant in the room for you, which is that there is there are a lot of people who feel very strongly that this is incredibly problematic in the message. Like we, we have not even addressed the fact that it was a same sex couple, um, you know, this family that they essentially have to uh, like kill their gay marriage so that the world doesn't explode <laughs> i mean it's, yeah it's it's like it is like two ticks away from like 700 club you know like all rightism yeah <laughs> yeah no i agree and it doesn't go that far it doesn't go that far and and it does and a lot i of- actually will say it teeters that line to the point where you can almost gaslight yourself into it like if you don't if you are just like swept up in it which i was until i came away from the movie and then started like thinking about it more critically like in the moment i wasn't like Oh, this is making that statement. I think, to be fair, if you have a background in religion and, like, a literal, like, understanding of the Bible and the way that, like, story goes. I don't want to call it a story, but you know what I mean. Like, the way that the Bible progresses, you might have caught on, clocked that a little sooner than I would have. But, like, it wasn't until I, I really reflected on it that I was like, wait a minute. Well, the movie tries really hard to go, like, it's not about them being gay. Them being gay is important to the story. It's important to why they're suspicious and it's important to why they don't believe the religion of it all and this and that. But it could be anybody, right? But then it's like, yeah, but it's not anybody. You did this on purpose. (laughs) You did this on purpose. Yeah, it's definitely. And there's no way around it. Like, there's no, like, oh, they didn't actually have to do it. No, 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 no. You got, you have to sacrifice someone. And you have to sacrifice our union and our marriage and our life together because. You know, the man upstairs is upset about it and is tsunamiing out Tokyo, you know. It's yeah, crazy. it's it's definitely crazy. And like that part of it all just makes you go like, what the hell? Like it's it's very odd. Um, but you know, again, like I, I could almost and but there is like an interesting like you know, there's a lot to unpack in terms of like they they go like, We're not targeting you, we're not targeting you, we're not targeting you and then they find out that Rupert Grant previously attacked them for a hate what we believe to be a hate crime you know um could he have i guess hypothetically just been pissed off that they were being loud yes but we also know that's not true um so it was a hate crime um and so you go like but is it a target but is it not but blah 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 and like i i think that that was to under to to really um it was m night's attempt to add this like nuance and tension but because of the way that it was executed and because this is literally mirroring the bible you are telling the message that this is a, that 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 um, homosexuality is a is a sin. 
when you said we need to address one more elephant in the room, I thought that that was Rupert Grant. And we really need to wrap it up. So what is your one sentence? What the fuck is Rupert Grant doing in this movie? Well, I feel one like... Sentence. I can't. Um, <laughs> no, no it'll it'll be it'll be brief, but I can't I can't promise one sentence. Um, here's the thing: I like Rupert Grant. I actually feel like him and Daniel Radcliffe both. You know, obviously, I'm not trying to just like lump them together because of Harry Potter, but like I, I genuinely think those are two examples of actors who just happen to come off of the same exact kid thing. Um, that like are are so unbelievably talented, more talented than anyone gives them credit for. And Daniel Radcliffe is really going in that like, you know, he's doing the weird owls, he's doing the like um the 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 weirdo HBO stuff right now. And like I think that that's really cool. And I'm glad that they're diving into it. He did Equus on Broadway. Like, I mean Daniel Radcliffe's really going for it. And then Rupert Grant kind of on, on the flip side, he did Love Sick on Netflix and I heard he was really talented in that. I've never seen it. And so like they're both trying to like I I can see Rupert Grant making this attempt to have a, a legitimate dramatic career in a way that fulfills him. Like he's he clearly has the ability financially to be selective because he has a zillion dollars from Harry Potter, um, which is awesome for him in terms of his creativity. Um I wish he wasn't killed first. Like, I, I wish that we had seen more. I wish that, like, they make this huge revelation about his character and he's not there for it. And I feel like that could have even been more tense. And it's it just, I don't know. Because he can't write. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. When, when we were, when the movie was starting and they were going through the opening credits and it said everybody and it said and Rupert Grant, you know, the ands and the wits are reserved for supporting performances. They're reserved for cameos, not cameos, but, you know, um, oh, I thought that they were for like your level of celebrity. Well, it's it, it can be sometimes if it's like and Samuel L. Jackson, it's like okay, he earned that. But Rupert Grint did not do that, right? It is about like he's only going to be in this movie a little bit. Oh. And then as soon as they were like, okay, we have to sacrifice one of us, I was like, oh, it's Rupert. Like they gave it away in the in the titles, and then it was like, oh well, that sucks. <laughs> Yeah, I feel, okay, this is, like, a very different thing, um, but I feel that way with every single thriller that has Pete Davidson in it. Why does he die in everything first? He is always the first to die in every single movie he's ever in. Like, fucking Suicide Squad and uh, everything. Knock at the Cabin or 80 for Brady. Final thought. Uh, how do you compare? I don't know. 80 for Brady. I mean, yeah, like, that's, I... It's terrible, but I love it. Yeah. What, 80 for Brady? Yeah. Well, honestly, kind of both of them. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Like, that's what I'm saying is, like, I enjoyed the journey that I went on with M. Night. I just wish that it had been better in all the ways that we had just talked about. Okay, we teased. We got to wrap it up here. We've teased every, all the places you can find us. The Vince Vaughn-a-thon. We're watching every single Vince Vaughn movie. We only have two Vince movies left. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Y2 Kids, where we're watching uh, TV shows, movies, music, playing games, eating snacks from our childhood this week, Chicken Little from 2005. That episode drops tomorrow, if you listen to this on Monday. Also, this pod, which is uh, now available everywhere you, you find pods. Um, so if you're still listening to it on the site, that's great. That's where we want you to be. But you can listen to it anywhere if you want to you know, listen at 1.75 speed like I do. Um, However, like I said, the website, that is the place where we want you to be. That's the best place to find us. FeaturePresentationVideo.com has all of our pods, has all of the comms that we write, every review, every uh, every list, everything that we do, movies, TV, pop culture history, old stuff, new stuff, everything can all be found. FeaturePresentationVideo.com. Put your email address in, and we will send you everything that we do for free. No paywall, nothing. We put out stuff five days a week. 
and it's really great stuff. So you're missing out if you don't do it. Um, you can find me on Letterboxd at Taylor Malone, and you can find me on Twitter at Mailer Malone. You can find me at Patrick J. Regal everywhere you find people online. But the best place to find us, like we said, feature presentation video dot com. Do you have anything else you want to say? No. I will see every M Night movie, and I will hate every M Night movie. Me too, probably. <laughs> see you next time, guys. See you then.